Chapter 17 Half an hour of pulling at the oars took them farther from shore, but there was so little light it was impossible to tell how far. Gunhild knew they would eventually reach the edge of the Wadden Sea, but she had no idea how long that might take. We should wait for sunrise, she said. She heard Yadath and Wilforth talking. Father Wilforth says we might as well get a good start, said Yadath. He says we'll be on the water anyway, so we should row. What direction? said Gunhild. We can't see any stars. Which way is west? She heard more discussion, but couldn't tell what was said. We should stop, she insisted. We don't want to cross into the North Sea now. A wave could capsize us, and we wouldn't even see it coming. She took her oars out of the water and brought them into the boat. Wilfrith said something to Yadith, and she responded. He says we should keep going, said Yadith. He doesn't realize how the waters will change in the open ocean, said Gunhild. We should rest. This led to more discussion in English. Gunhild strained to make out the words. Many sounded familiar, but they were all garbled. Nothing made sense, even as she heard individual words she knew. The priest hadn't stopped rowing. Mikkel Unrathar, she said, pointing toward the way they were going. Unir? asked Wilfrith, confused. Utha, said Yadith, and this seemed to answer his question. Nevertheless, Wilfrith kept rowing. Mikkel Uthathar, said Gunhild, using the English word. There were big waves, do you understand? There was more talking in English. Then Yadith said, He says you shouldn't worry. We'll have to cross the ocean eventually, and God will guide us. Gunhild gritted her teeth. It wasn't that she was scared. It was that she wanted to see the waves and which direction they were coming from so they didn't catch the boat from the side. She didn't pick up the oars again. Instead, she spoke to Yadith. We should have left later long past midnight or even near morning. We would have gotten a night's sleep and then had all day to row. Let's not be ungrateful, said Yadith. Father Wilfrith risked everything to save us. Gunhild sighed. I'm not ungrateful. I just realized this all could have been planned better. I think it would be better to wait out tonight and rest if we can. She heard more discussion in the darkness, and then Yadith said, He agrees. Let's try to sleep. The boat was not made for sleeping. There was no place to stretch out. Gunhild curled up in a ball but had nothing to rest her head on. She turned sideways to lie on the bottom of the boat alongside one of the seats, but this pressed her head against the side of the boat, and soon the ache was unbearable. She tried a few different positions, but never found one that let her relax. Worse yet, Father Wilforth had a cough, and though she hadn't noticed it much before, now she felt as if she was waiting silently for each next cough to break the quiet of the darkness. She was uncertain whether she truly slept at all, or just let her mind wander in the dark. Eventually she opened her eyes to a dim glow in the distance, and soon the sky began changing from black to grey. She saw that Yadith was curled in the bottom of the boat like a puppy, and Father Wilforth was hunched over and snoring, his head propped in his hands. Instead of waking them, she moved to take the oars and turned the boat so that she faced the glow in the east. The water was calm and still and for a long while she pulled at the oars by herself, sending the small craft gliding across the water. Eventually she heard a noise behind her, and turned to see Wilforth stirring. He looked around and stretched, and then began to stand up. Sit down, Gunhild scolded. Hold on to the side, and move carefully. Wilforth looked at her, and though he didn't respond, he did sit back down. The exchange woke up Yadith who also stretched and began looking for some food in the bag that Gregory had given them. 
There were about two dozen apples inside. As Gunhild watched Yadith look through their supplies, she noticed the lyre. She was tempted to pick it up, but didn't. Wolfrith took some fish and handed it to her, and asked her something as he did so. It was the first time he had spoken to her directly. She wondered if he was still getting used to the idea that she could speak at all, or whether he was having difficulty trusting her now that she was no longer English. She took the fish and thanked him. It was a long day of rowing. They continued heading west, and Gunhild didn't know how far from land they were. There was nothing but water on all sides, but the waves were still fairly gentle. Worst for Gunhild was that, just as Yadith had predicted, they did have to pee over the side of the boat. Wilfrith seemed just as embarrassed as they were, and he turned his back and looked out at the sea whenever they told him to, but it was mortifying even so. They traded off rowing and steering, though Yadith couldn't last as long at the oars and often ended up steering. Remember, the sun will stay a bit to the south of us, Gunhild told her as she sat at the tiller. Aim right a bit. Good. Wilfrith and Yadith spoke from time to time, and Gunhild tried to concentrate and understand what they were saying, but it moved too quickly and sounded like a mishmash of noise peppered with half-words. She wondered how Yadith had learned Danish so quickly, then realized that it hadn't been quickly. It had taken a year. Eventually, she gave up trying to understand and retreated into her thoughts, lost in the repetition of the oar strokes. When the sun was at its highest, they all rested for a bit. It was near evening when they first saw the islands. They were heading west, and the sun was setting behind the islands as they approached. They were long and flat, not much more than large sandbars, but they would be the last land they would see for days. They pulled up onto the beach and made camp, though they had no shelter, and the October evening was unpleasantly cold. Gunhild had left behind her leather bag with her knife and her flint, but Wilfrith had supplies, and he started a small fire. You should play your lyre, Yadith told Gunhild, but she shook her head. Not now, said Gunhild. She didn't want to perform, and as much as she wished she could sit alone with the lyre and play, she wasn't in the mood to have anyone listen. Will you sing something, father? Yadith asked the priest. He seemed surprised. Me? I don't know any songs. I mean, there were songs my parents sang when I was little, but... Father, what about a hymn? said Yadith. Surely you know hymns. Wolfrith seemed flustered. Uh, of course. Um, why didn't I... Hmm. He paused. Yadda smiled at him expectantly. Gunhild stared off into the dark. I mean, it doesn't really seem the place around a campfire like this. He fell silent, considering. Well, it is time for vespers, he said. Why not? He took a deep breath and hummed to find his note. Magnificat anima mea dominum et exultavit spiritus meus in Deo salatari meo. He continued, and Yadith closed her eyes and smiled blissfully. Gunhild listened, too, though she didn't react. She found the chant haunting and lonely. The music was unlike anything she had ever heard. The melody warbled like birdsong, dancing up and down before finally choosing a note. There was no rhythm, 
just a flow of notes and ornamentation like a river running over rocks. They slept in blankets on the sand, and in the morning made ready to leave. They set off along the edge of the island, looking for a gap that would let them through to the North Sea. Soon they found one, and Gunhild could see clearly how the waters they were about to enter were of a different temperament. She looked across the slate-gray surface, rolling freely before her, stretching endlessly into the distance. The swells rose up and crested as they tried to squeeze between the islands. The passage might be rough. I would feel better if I were steering for this part, Gunhild said to Yadith. Can you row? I could row forever, smiled Yadith, and she curled her bicep into a muscle. They switched seats and Gunhild aimed them out toward the swells. The first two waves crashed over the bow and sent sea spray across Gunhild's face. She could taste the salt on her lips as she pressed on, aiming straight at the oncoming wave. Her stomach lurched as they went up and over, and soon they were past the barrier islands and rolling gently in the open water. Gunhild turned the boat and aimed northwest. How far do you figure it is to England, father? she asked in Danish. Yadith translated. Two hundred miles or so, he said, continuing his slow, steady strokes at the oars. Well, you've got one hundred and ninety-nine to go, she said. Gunhild's shoulders and hands began to hurt much earlier that day than they had the day before. Her back knotted up almost immediately, and soon her fingers refused to uncurl all the way. Yadith took her turn at the oars diligently, but it was clear she was suffering too. What Gunhild found most dispiriting was that it was hard to see any progress. When they had had a sail, she could always tell they were moving steadily, but when rowing on the open ocean, bobbing from swell to swell, it almost felt as if they were scraping at the water, but hardly moving forward. The sea could be washing us any direction, and I couldn't tell, she thought. It might even be pushing us northeast, far away from any land. She felt the pitch of the waves more, too, and her stomach protested. The sky stayed gray, and when the sun was high she had to take her best guess at which way west was. Father Wilfrith's cough hadn't gone away, but it had simply become background noise, like the waves. Every once in a while he had to stop rowing as a bad cough hit him, but most of the time he simply rowed through it. Gunhild could tell that it took a lot of effort on his part to keep going without complaint, but he never let himself stop until she did. Yadith and Father Wilfrith took turns telling stories. Gunhild resented the fact that she couldn't listen, but she wasn't in the mood for stories anyway. She kept her eye on the horizon, trying to read the wind and the water. She continued to row, and soon she lost count of the strokes, and the hours, and the distance from shore, and fell deep into the grueling repetition of rowing. Eventually it began to get dark. I guess we'll be sleeping in the boat for a while, said Yadith. Gunhild didn't like the idea of all three of them sleeping at once, but wasn't sure how it would help for her to stay awake. It would be so dark that she could hardly see disaster before it struck. They could drift in any direction during the night, but there was no solution to that. They would just have to point themselves westward in the morning and start again. It was difficult to relax with the boat pitching constantly, so she hunkered down and rested her head against her shoulder and let her thoughts wander. Soon darkness was total. She couldn't have seen an incoming wave even as it washed over her. She imagined what it would be like to awake suddenly in the water, overturned by a giant wave, thrashing about in the darkness. She was never certain that she slept. 
Instead, she faded in and out of awareness about the night around her. In the morning, she found that a light crust of frost had covered their blankets. They began to lose track of the days. Each was like the other, and as Gunhild fell further into exhaustion, keeping the oars moving from sunrise to sunset despite the cold, she sometimes couldn't tell whether she had been rowing for minutes or hours. The sea was the same in all directions, and never changed throughout the day. When they pulled in the oars for the evening, there was nothing to tell them they were in a different spot than they had started at that morning. Gunhild never slept deeply either. She drifted in and out of sleep during the night, but when morning came, she never felt as if she had rested. The only thing that measured passing days was their food and water. Gunhild had figured from the outset that they had about ten days' worth of food and maybe thirteen days' worth of water. If they hadn't reached land in that time, they would be in trouble. The slow decrease in the salted fish and hard bread that was stored in Milforth's leather bag and the apples Gregory had given them proved that time was indeed passing. They were about halfway through their food, when the storm came. Gunhild could see it in the distance. She sat at the tiller, taking a break from rowing, and saw dark clouds coming from the north. She pointed them out to Yadith. Can we avoid them? Yadith asked. I can try, said Gunhild. I can't tell how fast they're coming. If we turn south, they might overtake us anyway. Maybe we should stay heading west and see if we can slip past. She traded spots with Yadith, and for an hour she and Wilfrith pulled hard at the oars, but she noticed the wind picking up and the sea getting choppier. The waves rolled at them from the side, and the boat bobbed like a cork, and soon Gunhild felt raindrops on her face. Thunder rolled in the distance. We need to turn into the waves, she said. Yadith, keep us pointing north, right at the waves. We want them to hit us from the front. Wilfrith? The priest looked at her. He had been in the middle of a silent prayer. Yes, he said. Tie down everything in the boat, she said, showing him what she meant. Tie the bags to the seats. She picked up the lyre and looked for a way to secure it. She wrapped it in a blanket and stuffed the bundle under a seat, though she knew the lyre would still likely get wet. She hoped it would survive. Although she hadn't said anything about it, she had been looking forward to playing it someday, when they had finished the crossing. A gust of wind rocked the boat, and the rain picked up. The dark clouds now rolled above them, churning like the water below. Wilfrith had returned to praying, but Gunhild tapped his shoulder and pointed to the oars. We're going to row through it, she said, gesturing. Take the oars. Keep headed into the waves. Wilfrith moved to the oars as a wave rolled beneath them and the boat bucked, throwing him off balance. Careful, shouted Gunhild. She stared into the storm, trying to read its next move. Soon the swells were as tall as she was, and the boat rode over them as if going up over a mountain and coming down the other side. Their food bags and water jugs slid back and forth with each wave. Gunhild looked at Iada, still on the tiller, wrestling with it to keep the boat on course. She was soaked through and hunched over as if staying in a ball could keep her safe from the wind. A bolt of lightning lit up the sky, and the sharp crack of thunder followed immediately. 
Yadda jumped at the sound and put her hands over her ears. They started to drift sideways to a wing. Turn! Turn! Gunhild shouted, but the noise of the storm drowned out her voice. The boat spun, and a swell picked them up and dragged them sideways. Gunhild was certain it would roll them over, but they made it over the top and spun again, now taking the next wave back first. Trade with me! she shouted to Wilfrith, and she went to sit in his spot. He moved quickly to sit by Yadda and help control the pillar. At the oars, Gunhild watched as another wave rolled under them, throwing her backward and then forward again. Between the swells, she used the oars to spin the boat and rowed up over the next one, her back turned toward the oncoming winds. Every chance she got, she pulled on the oars to straighten out and keep their course through the storm. Again and again, lightning shot through the sky and lit up the angry clouds over her. She lost all sense of time passing, but eventually felt herself flagging. She glanced over her shoulder and saw only waves in darkness. There was no telling how long this would last. Coming down from a swell, the boat spun again, and water crashed over the boat, filling it ankle deep. Bail! she shouted. The storm roared over her voice. She looked at Wilfrith and Yadda, huddled at the tiller, not understanding her. She looked around the boat for something that could bail out the water. She half stood and used her head to nod at Wilfrith, beckoning him to take her spot. When he did, she showed with her hand where to keep the bow pointed, and then grabbed a water jug and slammed the top of it against the side of the boat. The first time, it simply bounced back. The second, it shattered into useless pieces. She yelled in frustration and threw the pieces into the water and grabbed another. She hit it against the side again and broke the top open. Its mouth was now wide enough to scoop the water from the boat, and she began to bail frantically. There seemed to be even more water than before. Gunhild! She heard her name. She looked up to see Wilfrith at the oars, gesturing to where he sat. She handed him the jug and took the oars. He began to bail as fast as he could, while Gunhild maneuvered the boat. She looked up to see Yadda hunched over, her arms wrapped tightly around herself, sobbing. Yadith! she shouted. Yadith didn't react. Yadith, look at me! she yelled. Yadith, we're going to live through this! Listen to me! We're going to live! Yadith looked up at her friend. We're going to live, but you have to steer! Steer the boat! Keep us straight! Yadith put her hands back over her face, as if she could shut out the wind and the rain beating down on them. She was sobbing so hard she couldn't catch her breath. Yadith! shouted Gunhild again. Grab the tiller! Grab it in your hand! Yadith didn't move. Yadith, said Gunhild. We're going home! At this, Yadith again looked up and seemed finally to hear what Gunhild was saying. We're going home, shouted Gunhild over the roar of the wind, but you have to steer! Take the tiller! Get us home! Yadith kept her eyes on Gunhild as her hand found the tiller. She moved it to the right spot and held it there, aiming the boat into the oncoming waves. Soon Wilfrith finished bathing and came to sit by her. He wrapped one arm around her and put his other hand over hers on the tiller. For the next hour they rowed out the storm like this, huddled together, watching Gunhild guide them over the waves. By the time the wind began to die down and the sea began to calm, it was night, and as she looked up at the sky, Gunhild realized it was the first time she had seen the stars since they had set off from the village. 
The rush she felt from the storm began to seep from her body, and she sank off of the bench to the bottom of the boat and wrapped her arms around her knees. We made it, she said to them, smiling. Wilfrith crossed himself reverently. Yadith left her spot by him and moved to curl next to Gunhild, who pulled her close. Gunhild noticed that she was shaking. They were soaked through, and there was no way to start a fire and nowhere to find shelter. I hope we make it through the night, she thought grimly. She looked up at Wilfrith at the tiller. Good bailing, she said in Danish. Good rowing, he said in English, and smiled at her. Gunhild leaned her cheek on top of Yadav's head and tried to calm her breathing and her shivering. She awoke in the same position the next morning, though she didn't remember falling asleep. She found that she and Yadav had blankets wrapped around them. The blankets were damp, but they had been wrung out. Wilfrith was at the other end of the boat, wrapped only in his cloak. He had given them all three blankets to keep them warm. Wearily she took up the oars again and turned so she faced the rising sun. Her face and hair felt like ice, her ears especially so. The cold pinched, and her head and jaw ached from it. Even the exertion of rowing didn't get her cheeks warm again. She noticed Wilfrith shivering in his sleep and paused to put a damp blanket over him. He stirred, then sucked in a sharp breath and began to cough. He woke up and raised himself halfway and kept coughing, a wet, hacking cough that made Gunhild flinch. When he could stop to breathe again, he thanked her for the blanket and pulled it around him. The day was clear, but cold nevertheless. The exertion of the rowing kept them from freezing, but Gunhild found that the dull monotony of the sea was no different than it had been before the storm. They rowed all day, trading back and forth so that one person at a time could rest. When it was her turn for a break, Gunhild examined the supplies left after the storm and decided that they had food for four days and water for five. They could make it, presuming they were still headed toward England, but there was no way to be sure. With no way to know how far north or south they were, and no sense of what direction the current was carrying them, Gunhild wondered if it would be possible to miss England entirely, or for the North Sea to simply keep pushing them east for every mile they rode west. If, after five days, there was no sight of land, what would they do? At what point would their throats start to swell with thirst? She couldn't chase the idea from her head. After examining the food and water, she pulled out the lyre Gregory had given her. It had survived, though when she tried the strings they sounded horrible. She had no knowledge of notes or scales, so she twisted each peg bit by bit until the strings made an ascending pattern from left to right. Now that it was in her hands, she began to play, plucking out patterns that seemed interesting. Before the storm, she hadn't wanted to play with other people listening, but it occurred to her now that if they never reached land, it would be silly never to have played. She continued to create patterns and find pairs of strings that sounded good together until she heard Wilfrith cough and realized that it was long past time for her to take her turn at the oars. She put down the lyre and went to take his place, and he nodded appreciatively. Melika thin swaycraft, he said, and she smiled in understanding. They rowed until it grew dark again, and then after having an apple and a drink of water each, they wrapped up in damp blankets and rested for the night. Gunhild was exhausted, but found she couldn't sleep. There was nothing to do but wait and think, and she lost herself in memories of home and stories around the hearth. She was still awake when she heard Wilfrith crawl across the boat toward her and Yadith. 
she opened her eyes and saw Wilforth draping his own blanket over Iada. He saw that she saw, and he smiled apologetically. Gunhild started to reach out to tell him to take his blanket back, but he stopped her hand and shook his head. He crawled back across the boat, but then began to cough. Gunhild could tell he was trying to suppress it and cough as quietly as he could. It was a rumbling wet cough from deep in his chest, and it took a minute for him to stop. Yadith stirred and turned over. Gunhild tucked the extra blanket around Yadith's shoulders and tried to sleep again. The next morning Wilfrith was slower to wake, and he began coughing immediately as he did. He seemed exhausted even by eating his morning piece of fish, and he no longer talked as he rowed, seeming to concentrate silently on each pull on the oars, breathing deeply and trying to last longer between fits of coughing. When it was his time to rest, he bundled up in his blanket again and napped. Gunhild didn't wake him when it was time to trade, and kept rowing through the morning until noon, at which time she pulled in the oars, stretched, and surveyed the unchanging horizon. She shook Wilfrith awake and handed him a water drug so he could drink. They had agreed on one drink each, three times a day. Day by day, Wilfrith grew weaker. Gunhild couldn't pull as hard at the oars as before, but she made herself keep going. Each stroke she took, she promised she would take one more, and another after that. She counted and recounted the remaining apples and salted fish in her head, mentally rationing them to each person, counting how many days they would last, and then starting the count over again. By the afternoon of their eighth day on the water, Wilfrith couldn't resume rowing after their noon break, but stayed huddled in the bow of the boat, shivering. Yadith felt his head and found he was feverish. She looked around the horizon, then looked at Gunhild, as if wondering what to do. Gunhild had no answers. Yadith knelt in the bottom of the boat and pressed her palms in front of her and closed her eyes in prayer. That day they rowed, just the two of them, until the oars fell from Yadith's hands and she slumped to the bottom of the boat to rest, groaning as she flexed her stiff fingers. Gunhild kept rowing, and eventually Yadith fell asleep. Gunhild looked at the two people in her boat and felt the great weight of responsibility settle on her. They wouldn't be here if it weren't for her, and if she didn't get them to land, they would die. She made a silent promise to see them to safety, and it gave her the strength to keep pulling at the oars even as twinges of pain shot up her arms and into her shoulders. She kept it up until twilight, when she stopped and wrapped herself in her blanket to sleep. She skipped eating anything that night, figuring that she would still be hungry in the morning, but that having an extra apple saved might keep them going another day. When Gunhild awoke, she saw, to her surprise, that Yadith was already at the oars. It was barely daylight, but Yadith was rowing with a somber determination. "'We need to get him some help soon,' Yadith said, looking at Wilfrith. The priest was huddled under a blanket, but they could hear his breaths rattle in his chest. Gunhild moved to bring him some water and found that he was still hot with fever. She shook him gently and called his name. He sat up to take a drink and gasped a thank you between slow, difficult breaths. They rode as before, though there was no more talking or laughter as there once had been. It wasn't quite midday when Iadith dropped her oars and lowered her head to her hands. Gunhild heard her sniff back tears. What's wrong? asked Gunhild, though it seemed a silly question. Everything was wrong. I wish I were as strong as you, said Yadith. I can't keep going. I wish I could. 
If I were strong enough, we could get to land faster. We'll reach land, said Gunhild. It can't be long now. Yadith rode on and off throughout the day as she could, but Gunhild kept up the constant slow strokes without stopping. The sun sank bit by bit, and Gunhild watched the eastern sky turn purple as the first stars came out. Eventually she pulled in the oars and stretched out in the bottom of the boat next to Yadith. She was just beginning to relax when she felt a bump against the boat. She sat up and looked over the side and saw a whiskered gray face poking out of the water. As if she were seeing an old friend again, her face lit with a smile, and she gently reached over to Yadith and tapped her shoulder. "'Someone's come to visit,' she said, pointing. "'Godrich!' gasped Yadith when she saw the seal. Gunhild was certain it wasn't the same seal, but wasn't about to say so. She was just happy to see Yadith's reaction. Yadith moved to look over the side of the boat. "'Do you remember us?' she asked. "'We saved you from the Hualas!' The seal kept looking with shining black eyes. It turned and dived, and came back up, and continued to stare. "'Is everything okay?' asked Yadith. "'Are you trying to tell us something?' The seal watched them silently. "'We don't have any more fish,' said Gunhild to the seal. "'Sorry.' Gunhild wasn't sure whether Yadith actually thought the seal could understand, but Yadith kept talking as if it could. "'Actually, we're in a bit of trouble,' Yadith told the seal. "'Father Wilfrith is very sick.' Gunhild heard Yadith's voice catch. "'I'm worried,' she continued in a whisper. We're, "'We're all alone out here, and we haven't seen land in days.' Yadith began to cry. The seal kept staring. "'We're all alone,' Yadith sobbed quietly. "'And we're out of food, and we're cold, and, and I just want to get home.' The seal turned calmly and began to swim away. As silly as the whole thing seemed, Gunhild felt the seal was being slightly rude. Yadith reached out a hand to the departing seal, but it was already yards away, and soon melted into the dark water. Gunhild wasn't sure what she was expecting from this encounter, but in the back of her mind was a suspicion. Meeting a seal might mean they weren't far from land. They fell back into silence. Wilfrith was asleep again at the other end of the boat. After some time, Yadith said, do you think Father Wilfrith will live? I don't know, said Gunhild. I prayed to God to let him live, said Yadith. Then I realized that God doesn't save people just because you ask. What do you mean? asked Gunhild. Well, if he did, no one would ever die, would they? said Yadith. So it can't be about what you want. It's about whatever his plan is. My father used to say that no man lives a day beyond what fate has decided, said Gunhild. So you shouldn't be afraid, because it's either your day or it isn't, and nothing can change that. Yadith didn't respond. They both stared up at the stars. As the boat rocked gently, Gunhild thought about what her father had said. Did he die on the day he was fated? Would he have died if he had stayed at home? What about the people he had killed? Was it their day to die too? If her father's ship had never sailed to England, would it have been a fire? or a sickness, or something else that destroyed the village? If it was the villagers' day to die, she thought, it wasn't her father's fault. She wondered whether, if her father had known he would die on an English beach, he would still have gotten on the ship. She wished she could talk to him now. If everything is decided beforehand, she would ask, why do anything? Why choose anything? She heard the answer in her father's voice. 
You can choose honor or dishonor. You can choose to fight or not to fight. You can choose to be brave. Gunhild looked up at the sky. She found the North Star, bright and clear above her. As long as she kept it on her left, she would be heading the right way. For her father, being brave meant spears and blood. It meant facing an enemy and refusing to run. She wondered if her father would look at her now and call her brave. She didn't feel brave. She felt desperate. But she could still fight. Gunhild could tell by Yadith's breathing that she was asleep. Quietly she moved to the middle of the boat and put the oars back in the water. Her shoulders protested and pain shot up her arm again. She grimaced, breathed deeply, and began again to pull at the handles, sending the fairing gliding through the dark waters. She may have stopped occasionally. Afterward, she didn't remember much of that night. Hunger gnawed at her, but she kept telling herself that she would eat in the morning. Later on, she rode with her eyes closed, opening them occasionally to check on the position of the North Star. From time to time, her head would drop, and that would jolt her awake again. She began to see things on the water and hear voices, and she realized she was dreaming even as her arms kept moving. She tried to make the dreams go away, but eventually accepted them and kept rowing anyway. She didn't remember when she finally let the oars fall from her hands, but she awoke to the sound of gulls and a dark line of land lit by the rising sun. came ashore that morning in an inlet of swampy coastline. There were no houses or people visible, but there was a bit of a wall, some tumbled-down bricks, so they aimed for that. Gunhild and Yadith pulled the boat up past the high tide line and ate two of the last three apples. Then they tried to get Wilfrith to eat, but he would do no more than swallow some water. Yadith stayed with him as Gunhild went to look around. The old brick wall turned out to be part of a ruined building, though Gunhild could see neither roof nor floor. It would provide a little shelter at least, and act as a windbreak. She went back to Yadith, and together they carried Wilfrith. Gunhild was surprised at how light he felt to her. They stood together and silently surveyed the stretch of grassy shore. One of us should stay with him, said Yadith. Gunhild agreed. This is England, right? Yadith asked. I hope so, said Gunhild. Then I should go find someone to help. That could take days, said Gunhild. She looked in all directions and saw only grass, and in the distance, forest. There were no roads that she could see. The only sounds were wind, waves, and the cry of gulls. I'll get going then, said Yadith. Take care of him. Gunhild watched as Yadith walked calmly away, off toward a distant tree line. This was the same girl who was crying to a seal only the night before. Now everything rested on her. If she didn't return, Gunhild and Wilfrith would be stranded. Gunhild returned to the priest, who lay propped up against the wall. There was no point in talking. Their conversation wouldn't go far, and Wilfrith was not very responsive anyway. She sat near him and used his knife to cut the last apple into small pieces. She cut them very thin and put them one at a time into his mouth, and he chewed obediently. An hour later the apple was finished. Gunhild wrapped her cloak around her and leaned back against the wall and was soon asleep. 
She woke in the afternoon sometime, and stood and stretched. Wilfrith was asleep. She tried to clear her head. She hadn't dreamed anything in particular, but her thoughts were a mishmash of rowing and storms and being chased. She took a walk around the ruined brickwork and collected some driftwood with the thought of making a fire that night. During this time Wilfrith didn't move, and once or twice Gunhild paused and watched him to see whether he was still breathing. Eventually she slumped down beside him again and simply rested. Every part of her hurt, and she spent much of the afternoon conserving energy and waiting for Yadith to return. Toward evening she heard Father Wilfrith stir, and she turned to look at him. He raised his head and looked at her with bleary eyes and smiled at her. What? Ich liebe jet, he whispered. Gunhild, not understanding, didn't respond. Wilfred smiled nevertheless and looked around his surroundings, taking them in for the first time. After a few moments he looked toward her and tried to speak, but his voice was hoarse and it came out as a gasp. He cleared his throat and looked at her meaningfully. Trima, he whispered. Gunhild looked at him intently, trying to figure out the word. I don't understand, she said. Trima, he said again. Gleawa. I'm sorry, she said. Are you hungry? Thirsty? With great effort, Wilfrith lifted his arm and pointed at the lyre that lay some feet away next to the water jug and empty bag of food. Seherpa, he said. She understood and brought the lyre back to them. She tuned it and began to pluck out a pattern. When he heard it, Wilfrith closed his eyes and smiled and rested his head once more. Gunhild continued to play and eventually lost herself in the music. She didn't know how long she spent, but she played until it began to get dark. By then, Wilfrith was asleep again. She propped the lyre by him and began to build a fire with the wood she had collected. As the fire caught and grew, she realized again how hungry she was. If only they had the fishing net. If Yadith didn't return by tomorrow, she would have to go hunt for food in the forest, but it was October and she couldn't think what she might find to eat there. That wasn't even the most urgent concern. The fresh water was almost gone. Gunhild stoked the fire and pondered the possibility that no matter what she did, no matter how well she had sailed, how hard she had rowed, how many times she had narrowly escaped, that this was the end, and her story would conclude on an English beach, like her father's. Somewhere along the same coastline, he, too, lay under the sand. A noise in the distance got her attention, and she sat up trying to hear better. It was so faint that she couldn't identify it at first. She stood and walked away from the fire, peering into the darkness. From far away she heard a jingling, and then soft hoofbeats. A tiny light, probably a lantern, glowed in the distance. Someone was coming. Over here! she called into the night. There was no answer. Over here! she called again, her hands cupped around her mouth. Can you hear me? It's me, came a distant voice. Gunhild, it's me! Gunhild sank to her knees and felt relief wash over her as the hoofbeats drew closer, and eventually a cart pulled by two horses became visible in the firelight. A man sat at the front, holding the reins, and two men were in the back with Yadith. They jumped down, and Yadith ran to Gunhild, while the two men picked up Wilfrith and loaded him onto the back of the cart. Yadith pressed half a loaf of bread into Gunhild's hands. We're going to make it, she whispered. I found a village. We'll be okay. 
Gunhild followed her to the cart, then quickly ran back to the wall by the fire and grabbed her lyre. With everyone loaded, the driver snapped the reins, and the horses made a circle and headed back into the darkness.